0: hello and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn how to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Laurie, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. But it's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and working through some of that childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by Benji who believes that there's a fine line between emotional awareness and spiritual awakening. And that is where Benji thrives as a mentor and teacher, guiding people to emotional mastery. Benji bridges the gaps between psychology, spirituality, and philosophy. Those three realms are all intrinsically connected in Benji's complete, unique, and yet intuitively and compelling simple approach to self-love and emotional mastery. His overall approach is about feelings first, Referring to the notion that we can all master our emotions directly without the need for deep intellectual analysis, ultra-spiritual practices, or pharmaceutical medications. He teaches people how to connect directly with the emotions and sensations of their body without fear, guilt, and shame, and how to allow these feelings to run through them so they can truly be released. It's about building an emotional muscle, not seeking rational answers. As he says, emotional healing is not an intellectual activity, which, I mean, I can relate to because I know my brain always tries to run the show. Throughout this thought-provoking conversation, we touch on topics such as emotional fitness training and why talking about your trauma isn't actually getting you the results that you want the three elements of your experience of reality so thoughts emotions and sensations and the subconscious cycle between them how we repress our emotions and moments of pain and how this creates harmful defense mechanisms that persist over time and lastly we discuss how your body is trying to help you heal through the very discomfort that you do your best to avoid if you feel like there's some sort of invisible force holding you back you definitely want to tune in and listen to benji and i chat How are you going tonight, Benji?
1: I'm doing very well, actually. It's nice already just having a brief chat with you and yeah, I've got a great energy. I'm really happy to be here and to be able to share some thoughts with you.
0: I am super excited. And yes, we definitely did vibe. I feel like I could have just like chatted to you before I started hitting record for ages. I'm like, all right, all right. Everyone else needs to hear this now. Um, You are... So I'm a physical fitness trainer. Okay. You are... An emotional fitness trainer. Yes. and like the thing that I always say is like, you know you're meant to move often and you know you're meant to like eat whole field foods most of the time. Like I, I don't feel like it's rocket science, but it's usually these hidden things that we're going through that seems to be like holding people back. So I'm gonna start this podcast off with a question I ask everyone. and that is like when you want to help people in this sort of way, generally, there's a backstory. So can you tell me the context that I would need to know to why to know why you're an emotional fitness trainer today?
1: Okay, so that's <clears throat> definitely a long uh, long and interesting story.
0: It usually so, is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the the quick like TLDR too long didn't read version is I mean, this is just who I am. It's taken me a lifetime's worth to finally find this. But um the, the story, I guess, kind of starts probably 10 to 12 years ago back in law school when I was, I was going down that path and I, I, I knew from day one that law wasn't quite right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does a good Jewish boy with a background in philosophy do when he's given up on life? Well, he goes to law school. So I had been playing in a band for a while and when that didn't go where I wanted it to ended up in law school and by the second or third year, I was just so so anxious and depressed that I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. And I'd been dealing with my own emotional distress issues for a lifetime. But when that all finally happened, um, it was like my higher self kind of stepped in. And I dropped out of law school and built a recording studio for myself. The studio you see the logo of, which you asked me about earlier. Yes. Um, And so for a few years, I was living, you know, it wasn't... It, it was a struggle, and it was tough, but I was living my dreams. I was doing what felt good and what was passionate to me, and I was helping people in my own way because the, the recording studio was called Flip the Industry, and I was dedicated to helping emerging musicians. Anyways, through that, I found my way to this place in Montreal, which, you know what, I'm not going to name right now, but um, mm-hmm. it was a club that I started working at. It was a burlesque club, and it was... It was a magical place. It was like the first place in my life that truly felt like home. And after a couple of years of finally learning how to be myself and express myself in the music industry and finding my way there, it really, it allowed me to start opening up to myself in a way that I I never felt like I could before. But what I didn't realize at the time was that while I was there, learning how to truly open myself up, I think in hindsight, a lot of the other people were there trying to hide from themselves. Mm -hmm. Because the burlesque world, there's a lot of glitz and glamour and smoke and mirrors and makeup and pseudonyms. And, you know, there's a lot of drinking and drugs and and sex and things like that. And so I was finally expressing myself and I kind of thought that everyone else was doing the same, not realizing that I was coming at it from a very different energy than they were. And while they loved me for my energy at the beginning, the more that that dichotomy started revealing itself, the more that they didn't really appreciate having someone in their midst who was coming at it from this different angle. And then I also fell madly in love with someone there and like the kind of ridiculous, like Disney level love, the like, oh my God, Mm. every song on the radio is about you and everything. And when that fell apart, because this particular person wasn't... You know, she told me right at the beginning that she wasn't able to have um, real emotional connections and I just didn't quite understand at the time. So when it got to a point where the emotions between us were becoming real, she started pushing me away. And that was Mm -hmm. very awkward because we were working together in this highly sexualized environment. And along with that, everyone else kind of started turning against me at the same time and led to this very emotionally manipulative and kind of abusive scenario where I really didn't understand the dynamics. Mm. I didn't understand at the time what was going on. And so the more that they pushed me away, the more that I desperately tried to get their approval and desperately tried to fit in, which led to this very kind of, like I said, emotionally abusive cycle. Or it's not that they're, be- like, n- there's no judgment here. But it was just this dynamic where the more that I tried to be and express myself and the more that I tried to be kind and tried to be open, the more that they didn't like it and the more that they pushed me away. And slowly, slowly, it sent me down this awful downward spiral, which led me to even worse than it was in law school. So mm-hmm. I, as someone who... Has been desperately afraid of death his whole life. I eventually got to a point where I was suicidal and I, I couldn't focus on anything. And they eventually got rid, re- like I couldn't, I couldn't work there anymore. I couldn't perform there anymore. Um, I couldn't focus on my recording studio anymore. I couldn't do anything. I had been living my dreams, but all of a sudden I couldn't focus on anything. The anxiety had completely taken over. The depression had completely taken over. I was diagnosed as bipolar and. When all of the medications and all of the therapy and all of the, you know, doctor's appointment, like when all of the standard approaches were just making me hate myself and the and the system even more, I had to start finding my own way through it. And at around that time, I started going through a spiritual awakening, you know, for however much you or your audience can relate to that. And looking back I can acknowledge that in a sense, you know, I kind of lost, I lost myself. I lost Mm -hmm. my mind in that spiritual awakening. There was a lot that I believed in that time that I now realize was like, I really, I was out of my mind. But there's also this weird paradox about it because that spiritual awakening was a huge part of what led me to doing this inner healing that I had for myself because that was the context, that was the narrative The spiritual awakening was the narrative that led me to thinking that I had to start doing this inner healing and to thinking that I had a mission and a purpose and that I had something to do. And so I started going through all of that healing. And the more that I started focusing inwards on myself, the more that I started sharing my journey. And the more that I started sharing my journey, the more that it started becoming clear that I really did have something to offer this world. There was Mm. this feeling deep down inside of me from a very young age that, I was here to do something. That I had some, like, not not that I'm a special person. or just like, you know what? There's something that I'm meant to do and I'm not quite doing it. And the more that I try and seek it out, the more that it eludes me and it feels very weird and egotistical and arrogant to believe that I have a purpose. So I, I pushed that away for most of my life. Mm-hmm. But then as I started going through this healing and sharing myself, it started becoming clear that, I actually do have a way of expressing myself. I have a path and an approach that I've been finding for myself and that the more that I express myself without holding back, the more that I am having an impact on people. And so bit by bit, it all just kind of snowballed into me stepping into this role as a mental health coach and emotional fitness trainer. And I will admit that at the beginning, it was it was weird in the same way that like it was when I dropped out of law school and built my recording studio. That was mm. weird. You have no background as a sound engineer. You've never built anything in your life. What gives you the, the idea that you could just build a recording studio? Well, I did it. So the same with the emotional fitness training at the time— Like, even I acknowledge it's weird that I'm doing this. But the more that I did it and the more that I express and the more that I've built my skills and my confidence and developed my self love and developed the tools and the techniques that I've, that I teach people now over the last few years, the more clear it has become that at least that portion of the spiritual awakening was real. Because how can, how can I possibly have this kind of impact on my clients if? the journey that brought me there was completely false. So Mm. it seemed to me that like just at a certain point, my life fell apart so that the universe could step in and be like, all right, Benji, you got to have the first like 27 years of your life just playing the human game (laughs) kind of. And now it's time for you to remember who you are and remember what you're doing here. And you're going to have to go through a few years of trauma and pain. And by healing your own pain you will have the context and the wisdom and the compassion needed to show up for others who are going through that same sort of thing mm. in a way that a lot of therapists or counselors who have just studied this stuff out of books who haven't been through that journey themselves aren't able to. Mm. And it's by just showing up as my Jewish self and sharing without any filter, like I just did for the last five minutes, (laughs) (laughs) that those who need me and who resonate with my approach and my wisdom find me. And the beauty of it is that I just get to then show up as the most authentic version of myself, share Mm. the tools and skills and wisdom that I learned along the way, and be there for people with a level of compassion and self-awareness that has taken a lifetime to master.
0: Benji thank you so much for sharing your story and I'm so happy for you that you now get to teach the medicine that you most needed and and there's two parts of your journey in particular that I feel that so many people have would resonate with like one that going to school when you know it's not quite right for you you know that you know, some people, they know they want to be a doctor. They know they want to be a lawyer. They know they want to be in business. But you really experience that like, okay, I'm getting this pressure, you know, maybe because of my identity um, of who I am to go to law school now and then having that aha moment to go and create something for yourself, living your best life. But then everyone also knows what it's like to feel in lo- like in love. And to be on the end of it where maybe you're the one that's more avoidant or you're the one who's more attached. And you and I are the same. When I'm not feeling loved, I'll give 10,000% more, you know? And then, you know, it does sometimes create a dynamic where you end up feeling isolated. and, And you certainly needed to go through that dark night of the soul to be able to help and teach people in the way you do today. And I think just from... Your whole story, but particularly that love piece and the the um the work piece, the study piece would, would resonate with so many people. So thank you for sharing.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. And you touched on a few really important points there, which is one is that dynamic of either the avoidant or the overgiving. And that was the context behind the the narrative of the spiritual awakening that I was talking mm. about. So I don't know if you or any of your listeners have heard of this context, this concept of the twin flames. That was the narrative that drew me in. So it was like a few months after she kind of cut me out, which again was very awkward because we were working together. So how do you ghost someone that you see on a regular basis? Very awkward. (laughs) And especially as a burlesque club. So like I said, highly sexualized environment and she was, let's say, partaking in in that. um, That makes for some
0: drama, Benji. Yeah, exactly. Mm.
1: Um, So it was probably like, Three to four months after, she kind of cut me out in that way. And I literally could not stop thinking about her. I mean, like not a minute of my day could go by where I couldn't stop. thinking, And it was insane. Yeah. So so it took me a while to realize like something is like to to even realize, I guess I love this woman. It took me a while to even figure that out. And so then one day I was scrolling down Facebook and I came across a suggested group that said unconditional self-love twin flame community. And as soon as I saw those words, I'd never wow. heard those words before, but as soon as I heard those words, twin flames, something like snapped in my brain and I felt like, oh my God, that's exactly it. And I understand. And so I started going down that rabbit hole and the whole twin flame narrative, which again, I don't believe it now in the way that I believed it then, but it was, it was the, um the catalyst for everything that I went into. So I believe like the universe used that narrative of twin flames to get me to where I needed to be. But, the narrative of it talks about the whole runner and chaser dynamic. Mm -hmm. Now, it portrays it in this spiritual sort of way where, you know, if the chaser wants, and me being the chaser in that dynamic, if the chaser ever wants to be with this person, then firstly, you have to do your own healing because that chasing energy, that desperate like attachment energy at the spiritual level is pushing the other person away. So you have to focus in and do your own work and do that healing and then step into your mission work because it's only when you are standing in your power in that way that the other person, the runner, who is currently being so repelled by that energy can finally find their way back to you. So Mm -hmm. it was with that, and there was also another portion of the narrative which said that because the two people are one soul, kind of, or connected souls, that if one person does the healing, then the other person will do the healing or will be healed as well. And since Mm -hmm. I was so in love with her at that time, and since she was from all perceptions, in more pain than I was. She was an alcoholic. She was suicidal. Whereas I thought that I loved myself at the time. I had a lot of work to do. But so I dove into that healing because this narrative was telling me if I heal, then she will feel better. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize how much work I had left to do on myself, which is how the the weirdness of this awakening and and that narrative comes into play that if it wasn't for that narrative which I fully believed at the time, but I don't believe in anymore, I wouldn't have done the work. I wouldn't have stepped into this role. So I needed to kind of lose my mind for a while and mm. believe something that was so out of this world. And yet here I am on the other side of it, finally feeling like I am me. Mm. And I spent the first 27 to 30 years of my life, like I, there was some part of me that knew that I was waiting to become something, like a conscious part of myself. I knew out loud in my own head that like, I'm not me yet. I'm Mm. waiting for something. And then coming out the other side of this, it's like, oh yeah. Here I am. This is what, what, exactly. Here (laughs) I am world. I am Benji.
0: (laughs) Thanks for having me. Are you tired of constantly feeling burnt out while trying to achieve your goals? Do you find yourself struggling to maintain motivation and productivity over long periods of time? I'd like to introduce you to the Goal Getting Journal, the ultimate solution for those of you who want to surpass their goals without burning out. Our journal is designed to help you set achievable goals, track your progress, and maintain a healthy work life balance. With our journal, you'll discover practical strategies for managing stress, staying motivated and avoiding burnout, including time blocking, habit stacking, and so much more. You'll also learn how to prioritize your tasks and maximize your productivity so you can get more done in less time. The Goal Getting Journal is perfect for anyone who wants to achieve their goals without sacrificing their mental health and well-being. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a student, or just someone who wants to make any positive change in your life, the Goal Getting Journal can help you stay on track and avoid burnout. And for Holistic Fitness Podcast listeners, you can get 20% off your first journal using the code HF podcast. Go to goalgettingjournal.com and type HFpodcast at checkout to get your discount. So, what are you waiting for? Order the Goal Getting Journal today and start getting your goals without burning out. I cannot wait to speak about like what emotional fitness training actually is, but there are a few important points I feel that you just mentioned like A, the healing journey is not linear. You may get into like a deep rabbit hole on like twin flames, energy, astrology, human design, like whatever it is. Or it could be like an obsession with fitness and like the healing journey isn't linear. Like we need to give our space, ourselves space to learn things at different points throughout the journey because it will all come through. Come into some sort of equilibrium at the end. You know, you might start with fitness. You might start with spirituality. You might start with nutrition. You know, there's so many different journeys. And I love that you so clearly articulated like, yeah, I went a bit on the deep end in this sort of area, but you know, I'm back where I need it, need to be now. The other thing is the notion of like that, that healing. When you do start to heal, other people are uncomfortable. And you also mentioned this, um, when you spoke, you went into the club and, and you being you at the time did make other people uncomfortable, even though you did, I guess, go back down into that kind of like that dark, deep space again. But, um, the people in your life, when you're healing, whether it's physical, you know, you're, you're working on your body, you're working on your mind, they will either rise to your level or you'll say goodbye to them, um, because they simply cannot exist in the space you're in and, Um, as a fitness trainer, you know, I'm not even doing the, well, you know, some could argue it's deep spiritual work for sure. But as a fitness trainer, you see so many breakups when somebody starts to level up and the people in their life are just holding them back rather than helping them elevate to the best version of themselves. Yeah.
1: Well, I think uh, any good relationship, like one of my perspectives, firstly, if you're doing life right, right, then Mm. I think you're always going to look back at where you were a few years ago and at least realize, oh, wow, I had a lot more learning to do. I had a lot more growing to do. You're always, (laughs) I I don't want to use the word embarrassment looking back, but that's the best way to You'll always look back at the version of yourself five years ago and be like, oh, whoa, I thought I knew a lot then, but I didn't. So life is about growing and evolving. And I think that any good relationship needs to be based on both parties growing in a similar direction. You don't need to be the same person. You can have different interests and all that. But that's where the like the whole phrase growing apart doesn't just mean that you're going, that you separate. Like people grow apart. And if one person is growing or growing in a particular direction and the other person isn't ready, willing, or able to follow in that same direction, then unfortunately, the healthiest thing, yes, is to walk away and recognize that it's okay to acknowledge that a particular relationship or a particular place or a particular job was right for you at a certain point in your life and then was no longer right for you. Mm. I think a lot of people, we we spend so much time building an identity that is then very hard to let go of, which prevents us from growing in the directions that we need to grow in.
0: Mm. Yes. Or we can use our identity to grow us in the directions we want to go in as well. Yes, you of create an identity that I'm a fit person. Then you can. But our identity is really what holds us back in so many ways. I agree with you, and in, in so. So many ways there. I really want to chat about emotional fitness because I, to like in full transparency, I'd never heard of emotional fitness. I think I I read David Goggins' book Can't Hurt Me, and I think it was the first time I heard of spiritual fitness that they do in Navy SEALs SEALs training. And I'm like, oh, emotional fitness, this is a new one. So tell me, tell me about the work that you do now. Okay. as a, as an emotion, emotional fitness coach. <laughs> yeah,
1: so the the even the term emotional fitness, it's something that like has been on the back of my mind for the last few years mm. as I was doing this work and I would call myself, you know, a mental health coach or an emotional wellness uh, mentor or something. But that, that term emotional fitness has been on the back of my mind and I finally just decided to start leaning into it. And I didn't mm. before because like no one's heard of emotional fitness, so that seems weird, but isn't the whole point that I just want to express my most authentic self. So the whole concept of emotional fitness is that it requires strength and skills and tools to actually confront the discomfort that's going on in our body head on. And that that discomfort is our body's way of trying to help us. When we feel that turning feeling in the pit of your stomach, the tightness in your chest, the lump in your throat, or Discomfort, kind of like you're holding tension in your shoulders and stuff like that. All of these are signals, part of a cycle that's going on inside of you. And when when we spend a lifetime training ourselves to think that those things are threats because we initially felt them in moments of trauma, moments when we weren't safe to feel and express who we truly are, well, we do our best to push that away. So mm. the irony is that. If you ask, you know, I think most people, or especially let's say most men in society, like what counts as emotional strength? And what historically, you know, at least the last couple of hundred years, what, what we might call emotional strength is the ability to put your emotions aside so that you could go and live your life. So, like the the mm-hmm. businessman in a boardroom, he's emotionally strong because he can put his his fear and his shame and his judgment and his sadness aside, and he can show up as you know the the badass boss kind of thing. Or you know, a soldier is emotionally strong because he can do what he needs to do and not feel the emotions attached to it. Mm. But. To me, that's the exact opposite of what emotional strength actually is. Because strength in any context is not about avoiding lifting the weights. So like if I were to say, oh, I'm really physically strong. Oh, how much can you lift? Oh, I just avoid lifting. I don't (laughs) go to the gym. Therefore, I never, my muscles are never sore. And that's how I can show you that I'm strong. Like,
0: Yeah, that's that's such a good analogy. (laughs)
1: Yeah. But that's not how it works. So basically, when we're growing up, and it it, it can be the smallest things that you know. We everyone knows about trauma these days, and we talk about trauma. But trauma doesn't need to be the most extreme things. Like I do help people who have gone through the worst of the worst of what this world can throw at you. Like stories that I wouldn't have believed still happen these days. But on the other hand. Even if you haven't gone through intense trauma, it doesn't mean that you haven't built the same pattern. So when you're growing up and you start recognizing, wait a minute, when I feel and express my emotions, maybe when I cry or maybe even when I share joy, um, oftentimes you're going to get judged for it. You're going to get rejected for it. It can be something mm-hmm. as simple as like you tell your best friend that, oh, I really like this TV show and not knowing that that TV show isn't cool from your friends, they start making fun of you for it. Okay, well, what's the lesson that you just learned in that moment? The lesson that you learned is when I share my true self openly, it Mm. leads to judgment, it leads to rejection, and it leads to pain. Okay, so especially at that age, you don't have the skills and the tools and the strength of how to properly process and deal with that pain, and you don't want to experience it again. So what do you do? You decide, okay, well— Who do I have to be or who do I have to pretend to be so that I don't experience that same pain anymore? And when we're growing up, most of us, you know, our parents having not truly mastered their own emotions yet, they end up putting their pain off onto us. They'll snap at us. They get angry at us because they don't know how to handle it. And Mm -hmm. I think that one of the most painful things as a parent is watching your kid be in pain and not knowing how to handle it. So sometimes, even when you're expressing your pain to the one person, that your mom, your dad, the the person in your life who's supposed to protect you and care for you more than anything else, and that triggers them because it makes them feel afraid and insecure, and they snap at you because that's the only way that they know how to deal with you. So this is even in the best-case scenarios. The parents who really do love their children but just haven't mastered themselves, even in the best-case scenarios, those great parents will snap at you or will judge you or will punish you because they don't know how else to -hmm. handle this situation and because they're feeling afraid in that moment because here's their kid doing something that's either going to cause them pain or is going to lead them to a bad future. So the parents react in this way. And throughout our lives, we start developing our identities and our personalities around all of those defense mechanisms that we use to keep ourselves safe from that discomfort. Except mm. that feeling that discomfort in the moment is necessary. This is your body's way of trying to process something. That mm. turning feeling in the pit of your stomach is one of your body's ways of trying to process shame or guilt or fear. And that, that lump in your throat, uh, that, that tightness in your chest. or There are all sorts of things that your body needs to do in order to actually release these emotions. Mm-hmm. But we spend our lifetimes training ourselves not to do it. So it's like in that initial moment of trauma, the heart is, is saying to you, okay, I need to, I, I need to do something right now. We need to shake. We need to scream. We need to cry. We need to feel this. We need to allow this discomfort to move through us. But the brain is thinking, wait a minute, I'm not safe in this moment. And the mm-hmm. last time that we actually did that that we did scream or cry or express ourselves, that led to pain and it led to rejection. So we're not going to do that right now. I want you to hold on to that pain and I'm going to come back around and deal with it later when we're safe. So the heart goes, okay, I'm going to hold on to it. And we keep on doing that. Now, Mm -hmm. every moment of trying to feel that pain, where your heart is trying to make you feel that discomfort, that would be one rep. You know, one moment of lifting that emotional weight. Like, hey, we're trying to do this. I'm trying to stay emotionally fit. We need to cry. We need to scream. We need to shake. We need to talk it out. We need to move. We need to do whatever it is that we need to do to release this energy. Mm. But we go out of our way not to. So as we progress through our lives, that emotional muscle starts deteriorating. and starts Mm. atrophying. We forget how to do this and it becomes very uncomfortable so it's like if you've spent a lifetime let's say you you, you're 10 years old you break your leg and you put a cast on it and you start walking with a crutch now what if you never took that cast off and never stopped walking with a crutch your leg would start deteriorating yeah it would start atrophying and you there would come a point at which your leg would be so weak that it would be impossible to really put any weight on it and most of the people who come to me have been doing that for decades. And so the whole emotional fitness, part, part of the whole emotional fitness thing is that most people spend like decades, years, mm-hmm. decades in therapy, analyzing the trauma. And it's great to have an understanding of where your pain came from. Mm-hmm. But analyzing the trauma is not going to build that muscle. Mm. so people spend years like they know already where all their pain came from and they've gone over the trauma and the pain and all the memories and all the stories and they finally understand and you can put all of these labels and all of these titles and all this understanding on it so why am I still in pain why am I still pushing people away why am I still incapable of having healthy relationships why am I still feeling anxiety every single moment of every day if I understand this already well mm. it's because the understanding hasn't actually allowed your heart to finally process all of these things. You're still carrying all of that emotional weight.
0: Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals. And sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goalgetter getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full-spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. NED CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. NED is providing holistic fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give NED a try, listeners get 15% off NED products with the code Lee. L O R I L E E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well being. You know, intellectually understanding something versus being able to execute on it are two different things. And it sounds like getting in touch with your body and being able to know when to cry it out, shake it out, move it out is really, you know, how we need to be processing ourselves, all of this. But if I'm being honest, I think for most, People, it's much easier to rely on a neurotransmitter to distract ourselves by scrolling, or by having a drink, or by going on Netflix. And I think that's what most people do. Or we're workaholics; we keep keep ourselves busy. This is how we cope. And I think when you introduce a topic like this, like you know, something hurtful happens. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe it's a challenging conversation. You have your normal emotional reaction, but. How do, you, like, how do you help someone do the reps? How do you help someone know whether they need to shake, whether they need to cry? Like, how does one just like, start to listen to themselves and work through this?
1: So there's a process that needs to happen first before we can even really get to that. And mm. the first thing that we need to start practicing is showing your brain that you are safe. Right. Because all of those things that you know, all of those emotions that were stuck inside, the problem is that we we've developed this pattern and this belief that those emotions, the, that turning feeling or the the need to shake, the scream that that they are a threat. So when we're getting triggered and the heart is sending up this old unresolved pain, saying hi. Here I am. You promised me that you were going to deal with me when you were safe. Are you safe? Are you ready to deal with me? The brain goes, no. Oh, no, 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 no. We're still not safe. So Mm -hmm. first we have to go through this process. We have to start actually practicing, firstly, positive emotions. And Mm -hmm. we need to break that barrier that we've put up between the head and the heart in a safe and productive way. Because w- one of the other big problems with therapy or with things like um, EMDR, which is the eye movement desensitization sort of practice, where they're, they're going to bring up your, your biggest traumas and, and try and desensitize you to the pain of it. Wow. yes, yeah, I have issues with that approach a little bit. But that being said, any it has helped many people. And anything that helps people, you know, I support. So go for it. If it's something that resonates with you, go for it. Um, But one of my my issues with it and an issue that's shared with therapy is that they're trying to bring up the biggest traumas first. Mm. And this is a way that, you know, therapy will try and it's what I like to describe. It's a process of drilling where they're going to drill all the way down and try and find that core trauma. that Mm. that worst thing that happened to you that put this whole thing into play. But that core trauma that happened, that's like the thousand pound weight of emotional distress that you're carrying around and you've spent a lifetime not walking on this leg. So right now, you're not even capable of lifting five pounds of emotional Mm. weight. But hey, why don't we go and try and find the worst thing that ever happened to you and let's bring that right up to the surface and let's see how that goes. So... Mm. The first thing that we need to do is practice feeling the positive emotions so that we can show the brain that, like, because we're we're often afraid to even just feel peace, to feel joy, because our brain is stuck in this fight-or-flight hypervigilance mode. It believes that there's always a threat. There's always this tiger chasing you in the jungle, and if it ever relaxes for a moment, oh, that tiger is going to pounce. So we need to start showing the mind that it is safe to feel positive emotions and that it is safe to start feeling the negative ones, so that we can allow that those, those light triggers and traumas to start moving through you so that we can start building that weight. And then the other element of this, something that we chatted a bit about before, like I alluded to, there's the three elements of your experience of reality. And these three elements are thoughts, emotions, and sensations there is nothing that you can experience in this life that doesn't technically fall into one of those categories. There's the mm. external world, and that's its own thing, but everything that you experience internally is either a thought, an emotion, or a sensation. So as we're talking right now, there's these sensations, these sounds that are hitting your ears, which are you know vibrating your eardrums. Then there's the meaning that's associated with them, which is interpreted through thought. And then there's mm-hmm. the emotion, this intangible thing that, I actually believe is a sixth sense. You know, we talk about the five main senses, but emotions are this intangible thing. The same way that like, you can't really describe in words what a strawberry tastes like, but you know what a strawberry tastes like. The same way that you can't really describe in words what love is, what joy is, what sadness is, and you can't really point Mm. to it anywhere, but it's something that you experience. Every moment of every day, you're somewhere on this emotional scale. The same way that like every moment of every day, even if there's silence around you, you're technically hearing sounds. You always hear something. You're always tasting something. Emotions are a sense. And there is this cycle that's constantly going on between those three elements of your experience, your thoughts, your emotions, and sensations. So when, for example, something happens from the outside world and it triggers you, it reminds you of something that happened from the past. Maybe it triggers that memory which is a thought. So mm. it reminds you, let's say, of something that you're embarrassed about from 10, 15 years ago. And that memory creates that tension somewhere in your stomach. And that, that, that part of you knots up a little bit. And that sensation sends this message to your subconscious mind that you're in danger. So that manifests itself as fear. And that fear is something that your brain doesn't like the idea. Your conscious mind doesn't like the idea that it doesn't know where this fear is coming from. So it starts translating that fear into thoughts. Mm -hmm. It starts trying to put that fear onto something. Even though that fear is actually coming from something that happened a long time ago, it's trying to analyze it or trying to attach it to something. And those thoughts create more sensations. Those sensations create more emotions. Those emotions create more thoughts. Around and around and around and around we go because we've never learned Firstly, that these are separate experiences or how to deal with any of them. So Mm. anxiety, for example, we use that word generically and no one really ever stops to, even though people experience it as this complex thing, I don't think I've ever heard anyone else other than you know me and my teachings stop to point out that anxiety is actually three separate things. It's the cycling negative thoughts, the constant calculus of how everything can constantly go wrong. Mm -hmm. It's that turning feeling in the pit of your stomach or the tightness in your chest, that that's what like made me unable to eat and unable to sleep when I was in law school. It was, you know, it it feels like physical pain, but it's not technically physical because you can't see that on an MRI or or an X-ray. You feel it in your stomach, you feel it in your chest, but it's not technically a physical thing. So it's that energetic sensation, as I like to call it. And then there's the fear this intangible sense of dread that you can't point to and you can't really describe, but it's just this, feel, this emotion that's always there. Mm. You are constantly afraid. And people who have dealt with anxiety, as I have, will recognize those three elements. But when we use the word anxiety, we don't really recognize all of those things. Or we we use it as a generic term. Like I used to use the word anxiety mainly to talk about that turning feeling in my stomach, even though it was really Mm. all of these things. So each part, each element of that is manipulating the other. And I think going back, your original question was how to know when to shake, how to know when to do these Mm. things. Like I said, step number one was showing our minds and our bodies that we're safe. Step number two is learning how to isolate these three elements Mm -hmm. because they are manipulating each other, but they are separate experiences. So first, we need to learn how to deal with our thoughts as their own thing. We start with the thoughts because that's where most of us live most of our lives. We've disconnected ourselves from our emotions. And until we learn to recognize that our thoughts around a certain situation are illusions, all of the judgment, all of the self-pity, all of the worry, all of the constant calculation that we have, it's, it's not real. So first we need to understand that and identify and we need to learn practical tools and skills of how to take control of those cycling thoughts so that we can recognize, okay, these thoughts are actually just manifestations of an unresolved emotion. It's my brain trying to make sense of pain that it doesn't know how to feel. Because mm. we, we we can never just stop thinking. So, okay, we deal with the thoughts, we put them aside as one thing. Then we can learn how to deal with the emotions, how to allow ourselves to feel all of those intangible emotions, especially the negative ones, and recognize that the fact that you're feeling some fear, some anger, some sadness right now, that's okay. And it doesn't mean anything. Because most of us, when we're feeling that, like I said, we start going up into the thoughts and we start calculating, okay, well, what does this fear mean? And what's going to happen if I don't solve it? And what's going to, what, what does this mean for my life? What if I never, what if I never, and what if I do? And what if I, like, whoa, that's just your mind trying to make sense of this thing. So now we can feel into that emotion and we can show ourselves how to truly feel it without it needing to create more of that tension in our body and more of those thoughts. So now Mm -hmm. we can handle those emotions without it spiraling out of control into those other places. And then we can learn how to feel into our body. Let's find that feeling. When you are getting triggered, what does it feel like in your body? Because somewhere, I promise you, whenever you are getting triggered, whenever there's shame, there's guilt, there's anger, there's judgment, somewhere in your body, you're feeling it. Mm. And that feeling that is the unresolved trauma that you've been carrying for a lifetime. And the main problem is that you've spent a lifetime running from it because that has felt like a threat. Mm. So we try and medicate it away or we try and cover it up with drugs or sex and alcohol or scrolling with Facebook and Netflix, as you mentioned. We do anything that we can to avoid feeling it because it feels like a threat. Once we can take control of that cycle, then basically what we what we do is we open up that pipeline Mm -hmm. that your body, when it's feeling that tension, that's just its way of trying to heal. So when you can learn how to lean into that, when your body is feeling that, okay, let's get the emotions out of the way so that that can happen. Let's get the thoughts out of the way. Let's calm the body so that we're not tensing up around this. Then the body can finally go through the purging process that it's been trying to go through this whole time.
0: I love the way that you explain that with like the three different processes. And you're right. It's not, we know those three different processes are there, the thoughts, the emotions and the sensations, but we don't necessarily separate them and then deal with them in- individually. And like, okay, let's put the cerebral stuff to the side here and focus really on the on the emotions that we're feeling. And and I love, you know, all the analogies of of how you would start to look at the emotions and how we shouldn't be picking up that like 1000 pound weight straight away, because it's so true. Um, I, you have so much to share on this topic, but we don't have much time left. <laughs> so I'm just gonna, you know, we've only got about five minutes left to chat. So I'm going to open up the floor to you. Is there anything that you haven't shared yet today that you really, really wanted to share with the audience? Um...
1: I think we did a pretty good job of covering some of the the main topics here.
0: Yes. Um,
1: I guess just in that vague sense, there's nothing coming to mind in particular that like, you know what, no, I didn't mention that. Um, I think what this all comes down to is learning to feel safe Mm. in the moment and in your body and to start recognizing all of the ways that you haven't throughout your life. that The body has been stuck. In this fight or flight state for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And we've never really acknowledged that. And w- what we want to start recognizing is that the discomfort that's coming up in our body, while it can be uncomfortable, can even be painful, it can't actually hurt you. That turning feeling, the lump in your chest, the, the tightness, the, the, Whatever it is that you're feeling inside that you've been running from, the irony is that it can't harm you. The way that I like to express it, confronting your demons can be painful, but it can't actually hurt you, and it's the only way to heal. And the irony is that like what, you know, what does actually harm you? All of the things that you do to avoid feeling it. Mm. So ultimately, fear is the real problem. I think some of the truest words ever spoken is that the only thing to fear is fear itself. Because when we can get rid of that fear in the moment of feeling ourselves, of expressing ourselves, of confronting ourselves, then the body can finally, like I said, it goes through a purging process that it's been trying to do this whole time. Mm -hmm. Your body's been trying to help you heal. It knows what to do. In the wild, like a gazelle, after it runs away from a lion it will, uh, the the fear in that moment is helpful for it because it provides the adrenaline to help it run faster and and get away. But after it gets away, it lies down in the grass and it shakes uncontrollably. Shakes, yeah. And that's its instinctive way of processing and resolving the fear and the trauma in that moment. And then it gets up and it walks away like nothing ever happened. But we've stopped doing that. Mm. And analyzing your past and your trauma is never going to reconnect that natural function it's a great start and it has it can be helpful for many people and i think that it's been helpful in our collective progression as a society that we needed to at least acknowledge like 60 years ago if you said to if you said to someone like, oh, well, maybe my childhood trauma is affecting me as an adult, they would have laughed you off. Like we needed to analyze these things so that we could at least come to a point in our society when we can acknowledge that, yeah, maybe if you got slapped around as a kid, that that has an impact on you as an adult. Yes. it. <laughs> um, but when you can allow yourself to finally reconnect with what your body is trying to do for you, The healing doesn't need to be a lifelong process. It doesn't need to be traumatic. It doesn't need to be analytical or painful, really. And you can learn how to be an authentic version of yourself that you never even realized was stuck inside there.
0: Mm. I love that sentiment. Like It doesn't have to be hard work. I think we over-engineer everything, including fitness, what I teach. And, you know, by the sounds of like emotions and stuff like that, maybe it is hard work for some people, but it really can be like that Giselle for some people of running away from that fear and then just shaking it off like uncontrollably to create the new version of themselves.
1: Well, so I do want to like, depending on (laughs) what you mean by the phrase hard work, because I don't want to give off this impression that like, someone comes to me and I'm just going to wave a magic wand and take all your pain away. <laughs> it, t- it requires commitment and it requires effort. I think what I said mm. was that it doesn't have to be painful. And it yes. doesn't have to be hard work in the sense that it doesn't need to be this deep analytical logic so- problem-solving process. But it does require time, it requires effort, it requires your commitment. Um, mm. If you're looking for someone else to just wave a magic wand and take all of your pain away, then look, you're never going to learn the real tools and skills. You have the yeah. same way like you as a, as a fitness trainer, you can't build someone's muscles for them.
0: And no, there's no, and no weight loss out,
1: pill. Exactly. <laughs> and working out doesn't need to be hard work in the sense that you can enjoy it and it can feel good. And mm. it, it doesn't need to be this torturous thing, but it's going to be hard work necessarily that's the whole point like if you want to build muscle you need to push your muscles to the point of failure Mm. it doesn't need to be traumatic and it doesn't need to like you don't need to be that um that no pain no gain kind of person but yeah you're gonna need to put in the work
0: yeah absolutely you'll need to put in the hours you'll need to put in the repetitions for sure but you don't have to engineer it over engineer it is what i was more, more so meaning by that i really enjoyed chatting to you, Benji. We do have a final question on this podcast. And that question is, um, if you could give just one sentence of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell him?
1: Good question. Interesting question. I think with myself in particular, I would try and tell him that that feeling that he has inside that he's here to do, that he has something worth sharing with this world is real and that he should follow it more. Cause like I, I love said, I, I spent a long time pushing it away and thinking that I was just mm. arrogant for believing it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Benji needed some validation from you. <laughs> 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 I love that. Um, I'm sure so many people that have listened today just want to learn so much more about emotional fitness. Like we really just scratched the surface of your work and what you talked about. So where can we all find you and get to know more about you?
1: Okay. Um, so for anyone who is interested, yeah, a few ways. Um, number one, you can go to my main webpage, which is BenjiSharerCoaching.com. Check the podcast for how to spell my name. Um, <laughs> And there you'll get a bit of info about me and about my program, my coaching. Um, to go into a deeper dive of it, I have a webinar. It's called Healing Feelings First, which you can find at same website, com slash replay. So you can watch that. It's about an hour long, and we'll talk about the five main shifts in perspective that you're going to need to make in order to start this healing journey appropriately alternately I have my book uh, I've got a couple of books but the first one people should start with is called Feelings First Shadow Work some of, those, some of you might know what shadow work is and the whole point of the feelings first idea is that a lot of people still approach shadow work as this intellectual thing where they're trying to mm-hmm. analyze their trauma and I'm trying to help people understand what shadow work is really about uh, or lastly you can join me in my Facebook group which is called Self Love and Shadow Work Modern Awakenings
0: Awesome. And we will have all of that in the show notes as well. So people can get in touch with you easily. Thank you so much for joining the podcast tonight, Benji.
1: It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It was amazing. And for everyone at home, in the car, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, eat well, move well, breathe well. And until next time, keep shining.